You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's get going, uh, gentlemen. Glad you're here today. I got a couple announcements for you before we get started. Just a reminder, uh, we will not be meeting next week. So this is our last meeting before Thanksgiving. Uh, then we'll pick up the week after that. There'll be a guest in that week uh, doing men's Bible study morning with you. I'll be in Romania. Uh, if you guys are men of prayer, I'd ask for, for you to pray uh, for myself. Neil and his wife are going to be accompanying me there. But uh, if you haven't heard what we do there, primarily we're working with a church. But uh, I mean, that fires me up. But what really fires me up is that we're working with the first generation of young leaders that are uh, out from underneath communism. And so a couple times a year, we'll go over and, and just speak in God affords us the opportunity to speak into these young leaders' lives, uh, late 20-somethings and early 30-somethings. So we'll be there the full week, uh, 1st of December, and just meeting with uh, several of the, the leaders. As a matter of fact, in, in the eight years I've been in Romania, I finally get the opportunity to kind of meet the father of the underground church, and we're Skyping uh, together this Friday morning and spending about an hour together via Skype, and then hopefully... We'll be able to meet in the capital city there in Romania and see each other face to face. This is the gentleman that uh, really was a lot of the heartbeat behind the underground church before the fall of communism in 89 and into January of 1990. And so it's a privilege and an honor for me uh, to be able to spend some time with him and hear the story from his perspective. Uh, you know, I didn't plan to say that this morning, but it really fits in with where we are talking about being partners in the gospel and what Paul was writing to the church of, of Philippi. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in today's message. God, thanks for today, and I, I just pray um, really with a humbled heart to ask for your spirit uh, to be with us, to intercede with us in our time together here this morning. Help us to hear what you want us to hear, Father, so that it moves into action in our lives. Help us not today just to be students of your word, uh, just to gain knowledge, but help us today to be open, to be humble, to be submissive to what you would say to us so that we might apply it to our lives. Father, I look across this room and, and see this gathering of men and I cannot help but think that you could start a revolution just the men gathered here, if we would come together and humble ourselves before You and seek You for the greater things, God, I believe You'd do it. I believe the men in this room would join me and say, we believe You would do that. Father, that calls for a posture in our life to usher in what Your Spirit wants to do in and through our lives. It's a difference between a path of discipline and the path of enjoying the full abundant life that you've called us to. So help us, God. Help us to pursue you, to pursue that kind of life, that kind of living. I may it even start this morning by your word shaping us, molding us to be that kind of man. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, nothing like a soft start, huh? Philippians chapter 1. Last week, if you were here, I'll just remind you that we talked about 
and took a look at the life of Paul and really who he was and what he was all about prior to knowing Christ. I showed you about a 13-minute video on Paul to give you an idea that he pretty much matched what we would describe today as a terrorist. He was a man with deep religious convictions, killing Christians for the name of God. And then God met him and changed him and opened, up to his, eye, opened his eyes up to the fact that pursuing God wasn't about rules and law and religion. It was more than that. It was about an exchanged life. And so we took a look at Romans chapter 6, and we looked at even in the opening sentence of Philippians where Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. We looked at the word there, servants is actually slave. It's an exchanged life. Today we're going to talk about being a partner with God. Gentlemen, it is an exchanged life. It's, it's the life that you and I dreamed of for the life that God has for us. And sometimes we'd like to think that those are the same, but they're not. Because before Jesus changed us, there was nothing in us that wanted to pursue God. But God came and changed us. And when we placed our faith in Jesus to have a relationship with God, it was a life for life exchange. We're different. Our perspectives are different. Our pursuits are different. And it brings us into this idea of what does it mean to be a partner in the gospel with God. So let's, let's read in Philippians chapter 1. I'll start at verse 1 again, and then we will make our way through the first few verses here together. Scripture says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember last week we talked about grace being uh, God's basically God's supply of His self for every need. Every need beyond salvation as well, by the way. God's grace isn't just something that brings us into a relationship with God. It's something that sustains us, His grace and His mercy. And we went on to look at that word peace, that peace is really talking about a confident stance in life. You and I can be confident in Christ and live at peace in that life stance uh, in the culture and in the marketplace that we live in because of God and who we are in the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The question this morning is, what does partnership mean? What does that look like for you? I mean, when you think of entering into a relationship with God, exchanging your life that was a dead-end life for a life that God offers you, a life free in Christ Jesus, a life that's not just about eternal life, I know we say this time and time and time again from the stage, but we're going to just keep pounding this idea until the Lord lets us off of this soapbox. Being in a relationship with God is not about your eternal destiny. That's icing on the cake. Your relationship with God is about life in Jesus. And so once we step into a relationship with God, our lifetime is about unpacking what a life in Jesus looks like. 
Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, so salvation cannot be just about eternity. It has to be about this exchanged life. So when Paul uses this word partnership, I've looked at this word for years and years and years. And finally, hello, it took me a long time to discover the interesting little word that Paul used here in the scripture. He used the word koinonia. Now, for those of you that have been in church a long time, uh, your, your mind just went to this soft kind of existence of group life. Koinonia. Koinonia is usually talked about is, is this kind of gathering where we, we do fellowship together and it's, it's heartfelt. Koinonia has kind of got a bad rap over the years. Not that that's a bad thing. We think about good, warm, fuzzy settings where we do fellowship and share heart things together. But Paul uses and kind of shapes this word a different way in verse five here. When he's talking about this partnership that we have in the gospel, he's he's talking about participation. He's talking about us being involved in what God's doing in a very practical way. Again, one of Scott Hall's soapboxes right now, God has me on this and I'm going to stay on it until he releases me, is that uh, it's got to be more than this, gentlemen, right? It's got to be, the partnership has to be more than us joining together like this and talking and thinking through God's word together. The partnership has to be more than gathering on Sundays in our church. I know many of you in this room, you go to other churches in the community. We're, we're happy about that. But you need to understand with us and wrestle with us in this idea that when God calls us to a partnership, he's not calling us to weekly gatherings, That's not it. I mean, honestly, if that's it, I'm out. I want out. (laughs) I mean, if that's all that Christianity has to offer is, you know, about five songs on Sunday and a guy speaking too long. By the way, I'll be speaking this this Sunday from the stage and I will speak too long from the stage. If that's what it's all about, I want out. If it's not about something bigger than we can do together on a Sunday, I want out. But I'll tell you this, I want in the partnership. I want to be a part of what God's doing. God's not letting me leave that last thought yet. Let Let me say this to you. I want you to wrestle with this. When's the last thing? When's the last time you saw God do something in a weekly gathering that we call a worship service that the men or the women couldn't take credit for on that day? Great music, great talk, great songs. I think the partnership is about God showing up. I think it's about him doing something in our lives that w- just blows our mind, that we, we can't take credit for. It's beyond normal. It's, it's supernatural. That's God's stuff. There's a lot of man-centered stuff going on these days with God's name stamped on it. But listen, inside of you and inside of me, if we've exchanged this life for a life, there is a calling Last week, I asked you, what's your Macedonian call? Where's God leading you? What's he asking you to do that that he's keeping you from going this direction and you know that he's leading you this direction? When you start sensing that, when you start feeling that, you realize that you're on the edge of the partnership. You're stepping into something bigger than yourself. This word koinonia is the idea of participating in a practical way. I don't have all these answers for you, but I'm going to ask this question. What does it mean? Well, evidently there's a slide on my page. It's not in there. (laughs) 
What does it mean? What does it mean for you to be in a partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that mean in a practical way for you? How does that change maybe the way you see people that you work with? How does it change maybe even the way you lead? I've got a book title I can't, that, I, that I'd love to work on. I've got to figure out how to say it, and I'm not going to say it because this is a podcast, but I'm going to give you the picture. Um, how to be a leader without being an, and if you could picture a giant picture of a donkey. I've got to figure out how to do this book title. Um, Funny joke with my kids. I, I, I usually don't, I don't cuss around my kids. I don't know if my kids have ever heard me say a cuss word. If, if you're, you're had, that's great. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know that my kids have ever heard me say a cuss word, but I love to, I love to mess with them sometimes when we're going down the road, um, when there's some donkeys out in the field, and I'll just go, look at that jackass. And, and my kids will look at me like, because they think it's road rage, you know, that I'm mad at somebody. I'm like, no, look, a donkey. Um, how to be a leader without being a jackass um, is kind of the title that I'm, I'm getting after. Uh, Paul, and we're going to get to it, Paul's going to get to this idea of love, what it means to be in this partnership with Jesus. It's, it's living a life of love because God is love, and that's what God demonstrated to us. For God so loved us, those of us who are filthy and raunchy and undone in our sin, he loved us so much that he came after us. I don't know what it means or what it looks like for you to engage the partnership in a practical way, but I know it's leading in love. Maybe you need to set your donkey aside. Maybe that's the first step. What does it mean to lead? What does it mean to lead in a godly way in the marketplace in such a way that shows people or demonstrates to people in the same way that's been demonstrated to you and me that you're coming after them, that you understand the call, you understand the partnership, you understand your role, that you are, you are coming after them in the same way that God came after you. You're coming after them in, in love. What does this look like in your life? What does it look like in the, in the marketplace? And so what I've, what I've tried to do is really define this idea of koinonia. Koinonia is, is oftentimes, and I don't believe biblically this is correct, quite often it's, it's reserved to um, just Christian gatherings, this idea of koinonia. But really koinonia is practically expressing the gospel so how can you do this in the, in the home? And I'm specifically interested in, in the marketplace. Your call, what you do for a living. So koinonia is this, and how partnership fleshes out is this, that you actively create expressions of the gospel where you do life in the marketplace. Does that mean that you have to have a Bible study at 2 o'clock every day at your office? Absolutely not. But it does mean that you somehow conduct yourself in a meeting in such a way that makes much of the name of God. Does that mean you have to be a milk toast softy that, that never stands up for anything? Absolutely not. I think God's the best leader we could know. Last time I checked, he, he doesn't back down to anything when there's godly purpose and meaning behind it. So how do you create an expression of the gospel where you do work in the marketplace so as to encourage other people? And we're going to come back to that word probably in about 15 minutes. 
so that you can encourage other people and actively seek creative environments where people can experience the gospel lived out before their very eyes. I've said this to you before, but uh, Augustine or Augustine, however you like to say his name, potato, potato, I don't care. He was a fourth century writer. And he said, share Jesus wherever you go and when you need to use words. I know you've heard me say that before, but I'm gonna keep saying it because it, it builds on this idea of expressing the gospel with our lives further and faster than we ever speak words. It's a demonstration of who God is in our life and what he's done for us. So what does this mean? It means that because of God's grace and peace at work in our lives, in other words, because of what God's done and because of the life stance that you've now chosen to take, that you can confidently live in such a way that demonstrates your understanding of that. What's wrong with most men today that call themselves Christians? They're not confident in who they are in Christ. Just the way it is. Most men are not confident in who they are in Christ. And as a result of that, they cannot demonstrate in a clear way who God is to an onlooking culture. So that means we lack understanding. That's why Paul goes on here in a moment to pray for knowledge and an understanding that will undergird love so that we can love and lead in love and have an understanding that confidently demonstrates the reality that you and I have been called to a partnership. You understand your greatest calling in life is to make God known. I told you last week, three out of a hundred, three out of a hundred in a lifetime who call themselves followers of Christ will ever share the gospel with anyone. Gentlemen, as I, I prayed and really God led me to that prayer, there, there's, there's, there's enough godly leadership capital in this room right now to start a revolution. I mean, to start something that this city would step back away from and say, surely their God is among them. I believe that kind of movement happens when we confidently demonstrate that we understand the reality that we're in a partnership with God. It's something that he's called us to. It's greater than ourselves. And listen, gentlemen, it's not something we do in our off time. It's not something we do later. I got, I got hacked off this new commercial that's, that's out right now. It's about savings, retirement. It's one of the investment firms. And um, I'm all for investment firms. I'm all for saving money so that you can do things later. But the problem with this is what we do with that later. And the commercial says, shouldn't you be saving your money now so that you can pay yourself to do what you want to do later? Have you seen that commercial? That's a commercial basically says that store everything up so that you can pay yourself to do whatever you want to do when you quote unquote retire. That's missing it. We should be saving up money absolutely so that we're not working our day job, so to speak, so that we can use that money to press into what this partnership and the gospel looks like. I just read in our prayer chain yesterday of a couple in our church, very successful in this community, that um, they're selling it and moving out of, uh, of Midland and they're heading to Albania. They've worked all their life to go to Albania now. I'm like, yes. That's it. Does it mean you have to go to Albania? Absolutely not. It's an individual partaking of this partnership. God's got a, a place for you and a spot for you, but it's not something that comes later. 
It's something that starts right now. These creative environments that you can start seeing these expressions of God's work in and through your life in the marketplace, but maybe at night in your home or, or maybe on a Friday morning. But, but think about the span of your lifetime. Your partnership is not something you're working towards. The partnership is something that you stepped into when you said yes to God's I do statement on the cross. When you stepped into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that was your signing on the dotted line. I'm in. I'm in this partnership. And so it started then. How is that fleshing out in your life? What does it look like? What does God want to do in and through you? How can you express that? Oh, man, it's an awesome call. The reality is that you and I have a responsibility in this partnership. So I just, you know... I don't know if it's an awkward moment of silence. I, I, I've, I've wrestled on how to, how to do this question here. You've seen it. It's on the screen. But wrestle with it is what I'm asking you to do. I'm wrestling with it. Am I being faithful and responsible in my role? I've told you guys this. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've been doing this gig for 25 years. And there are many days, and a matter of fact, the last two years specifically, where I've said, is this it? I mean, is this, is this really it? Is there more? Do I, God, do I, need to, do I need to quit this and go do something else? Do I need to get back in the marketplace? I left the marketplace a long time ago, so to speak, working. But I'm degreed in computer science. I'm degreed in psychology. I have a couple of theology degrees. Is there something else I can do? Is there, is there, is there something else that you want to be part of? Is this, is this what it means for me to be faithful? We got to wrestle with that, gentlemen. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to be faithful and responsible in this call to, to partner in the gospel with Jesus Christ? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Man, this is packed full of, of a lot of theology. I'm going to just fly over the top of it, and then we're going to get real practical and kind of bring our day to the end. What you can be sure of is this, that if God's called you into salvation, you're called to the partnership. If you, if you receive God's call, if he, if, he, if he called you into a relationship, that was by his plan and his sovereignty, he invited you into something bigger than you could ever dream, think, or imagine. He started something in you. And the fact that you're now in a relationship with God is not it. It's not the end. It's not done. The chapter is not closed. It was the beginning of something greater for you. And we call that justification. Big theological word that just simply means God now looks at you as if you had never sinned in your entire life. That's what justification is. Some of you grew up in Sunday school like I did, and our Sunday school teachers taught us, well, that means just as if you had never sinned, justified. Justification. Theologically, it means your position has legally changed before God. I want to say what just came to my mind. So sometimes we need to stop acting like criminals. 
I mean, if our legal position has changed, we were a criminal before we were in a relationship with God. We were condemned. He was coming after us. We would sit before the judge and we would be condemned. We were a criminal, but he has changed us and made us now a, a son of the king, a fellow heir in Christ. But most men will waste their lives dabbling in the things they used to do when they were a criminal. Call on God's grace to forgive them and to forgive them. They're already forgiven already. Instead of engaging the larger calling that God's called them to, the partnership. If I could say to you very boldly this morning, gentlemen, don't call it good just because you've stepped into a relationship with God. That's the start. The rest of our lifetime as men is not about some half-baked pursuit of God and we're just gonna dabble in the things that bring us pleasure, but we're not gonna fully embrace the partnership. He freed us from that. And that's what the sanctification process is all about. He started something in us, but he's gonna keep working it out. That's called sanctification. It's this idea in the scripture where Paul writes that we should work out our salvation. He's not saying that we do something to be saved or to continue to be saved. He's saying work it out, flesh it out. What does it mean to be a partner? What does it mean to really walk away from everything that we've been freed from to be everything that God has called us to be? That's sanctification. When we as men live a sanctified life in the marketplace, a revolution begins. Lives are changed. Whether or not you have eyes to see it or not, whether or not you're seeing it right now or hearing it, the people around you that are making the bang and the buck, if they don't have Christ in their life, you know it, they're miserable. Because nothing outside of Jesus will or could ever satisfy anybody. Only Jesus satisfies the longing of our soul. So then there's the glorification process. God started something in us. He's working it out in us and he will bring it to completion. I'm asking myself right now, I'm wrestling with this. I've been wrestling with this one too for about two or three months now. What does completion look like in my life? Um, Am I gonna get to the place where God really wants to take me? That's what I'm asking. Are you saying, Scott, that that I can somehow hold God back in what he's doing? Well, I believe that. I believe that God has an accelerated growth path for me, and I can stay on that growth path and get there as quick as he wants me to. But the scripture does teach that if we are unwilling to follow, that he takes us then on a path of discipline. I look at the Old Testament, the path of discipline for the children of Israel, 40 years I don't have 40 years left, I don't think. I don't want to waste 40 years wandering around in the desert. I want to be about it right now. I want to be in. What what does it look like for Scott Hall to allow God to bring it to completion in my life? And I know that scripture is talking about salvation. I know it's talking about the the glorification of who Jesus is. He's he's working that out. We're going to see that in the end. I know the scripture is talking about that, but it also presses into this idea of what am I doing with the now? What am I doing with the now? What are you doing with the now? What does the partnership look like? Are you, am I gonna be a child that has to be disciplined and disciplined and disciplined and disciplined until we get back on the accelerated path of growth? 
man, I want more, guys. I want more. I want to see what he wants to do in and through my life, and I want to see what he wants to do in and through your life. I want to see what he wants to do in the church. I want to see how he could bring revival to our country. I want to see our great God do great and marvelous things. And the beautiful thing about it is he calls you a partner in that, and he calls me a partner in that. But it's a life stance that we've got to assume in order to be a part of that ride. I want to be a part of that ride. So your role is to engage. My role is to engage, to confidently demonstrate that we understand what the partnership is about, that God's called us something, uh, called us to something greater to, to ourselves than ourselves. Now, I want to work this stuff out practically with the rest of our time here together. I mean, what does it look like? I've talked to you about being a partner. I've talked to you about um, the fact that this is larger than us. It's bigger than us. We can either choose to engage it or honestly, you can choose to wander around in the desert for the rest of your existence. If that's what you want to do with what God's entrusted to you, you have that opportunity to wander around in the desert. I hope you won't choose that. I hope I won't choose that. Pray for me that I won't choose that. Man, I saw this uh, last night going to bed, praying for this deal. I popped Facebook open and just saw that a, that a pastor in Mississippi, as his church was awaiting for him to come and preach, a church of about a thousand people gathered, he pulled out his nine, nine millimeter and shot himself in his driveway. He pulled out of the partnership. He honestly made a mockery of what God has done for us and what he's called us to. But you know what? I'm one stupid decision away from making a mockery of the, of the partnership. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be spurring one another along. Well, what does it look like? Uh, what I'm going to do is walk through our responsibility as leaders. What does this expression in the marketplace look like? What does it look like in our homes? Well, first of all, it's a life that invites people into your life. It's an invitation in the marketplace that you live the kind of life where people understand, number one, your life's an open book. Number two, the invitation is always available. Are you that kind of leader? Are you the kind of leader that the people that you uh, are, are leading that God has, and I'll say it this way, God has entrusted to you? Are you leading them with an invitation kind of life? Why do we need to live a life of invitation? Because that's what God did for us. He sent his son at just the right time to invite us into a relationship with him. So for us to, to make the most of this partnership, our best, our best shot is, is looking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, painting a realistic picture of who Jesus is. I remember saying this to you before and calling men's Bible study that, that moment, that morning, not finishing any more of my notes. The thing that your wife loves most about you, matter of fact, the only thing that your wife loves about you is Jesus. Jesus in you. That's all you have to offer her. Nothing else. That's all she loves in you. And if you think it's anything else, you're grossly mistaken. The only thing she loves in you is the Jesus that she sees in you. So how can you get your wife to come on to you, so to speak? Act like Jesus. And the marketplace needs to see that too. We invite people into our lives and we do that in the marketplace. Let me say this before I move on to the next slide. And I'm still in this thought from, from someone else. Can't remember who or I'd give them credit. But the people that work under you right now have been entrusted to you and they represent families. 
They represent lives. So if you've got 20 men and women working under you and they have a wife or a husband, then you at least have 40 people that have been entrusted to you. Your day-to-day leadership in their lives goes beyond what they can do for you. And it goes to the place to, to ask the question, what can you do for them? It starts with an invitation. The second thing is this, that you provide a clear living example in speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. That's 1 Timothy 4.12, my daughter's life verse. I've ingrained it in her for many years and years and years. When you leave here, that's when you punch the clock. When you leave the table this morning, that's when you punch the clock and you're on. You're on to paint a realistic picture of who God is to the onlooking culture that surrounds you, the people that have been entrusted to your life today and even the strangers that you will bump into, including the tests that will come, the people that pull out in front of you on the loop, the people that don't do it fast enough, the people that don't do it, that do it too slow, the people that um, really press you with their ungodly personality. It's in those moments that you have the opportunity to provide the living example to the crowd that follows you. Now, let me unpack that. If you're going through life and you don't realize that God is giving you a crowd that's following you, you need to open up your eyes. You see, Jesus in the New Testament, when he went from city to city, he lived a life of invitation. And by the way, he wasn't talking about spiritual things when he was inviting people. He was talking about everyday things like pigs and farmers and and widows who lost coins in their houses and things like that, stuff that made sense to people. In other words, you can talk about the cowboys and how they lost again. You can talk about the rangers and how they almost made it again this year. You talk about the Baylor and Tech game and how it was a great first quarter last week. I mean, you can talk about all kinds of things that will bridge the gap to start the invitation. You see, Jesus talked about farmers to farmers. He talked about pigs, the people who raised pigs. He was a carpenter. I'm sure he talked to people about measure twice, cut once. You know, I'm sure he did those kinds of things. He modeled that for us in the New Testament. And as a result of doing everyday life with people in a way that was genuine and godly, a crowd started following him. And when the crowd started following him, it was his living example that kept the crowd looking and asking and wondering, is he really the way? Is he the one that will lead me to find the satisfaction of my soul? Because all these things that I'm searching for, they're not getting me there. You've got a crowd. And if you understand the partnership, you understand the importance of the crowd that surrounds you today. Now, I'm not one of these guys that, that uh, you know, downplays Facebook and Twitter and all that. I'm not real active in all that, but I don't think it was a young geek in college that figured that out and became a billionaire. I believe that somehow God wants to use that to spread the gospel. All things are for God. Um, I used to hate when I was a kid, that's devil music, man, that beat, you know, all that kind of stuff. We burnt all of our, our CDs. I mean, we didn't have CDs there. Our, our records and our eight tracks and then cassette tapes. We burned all that stuff because it was devil music. It's all God's. It's just, how are we going to use it? Sure, the enemy gets a hold of things and uses it for, for his gain and for his advancement. But it's all God's. What am I saying? I'm saying that you've got a real crowd that surrounds you living, breathing people 
But if you tweet or you Facebook or you Instagram or whatever you do, you have an immediate crowd that is exponentially large, exponentially greater than the crowd of people that surround you, and you have a possibility to influence. That's why three or four times ago on stage, when I was speaking on the main stage, um, you know, I was talking about Facebook and I said, stop, if you're a follower of Christ, stop placing all of the Obama hate posts on your Facebook page. How ridiculous. How ridiculous to think that God is not sovereign enough to take care of our, our political system. And that we, we as Christians think like we've got to slam those guys and put all these just awful posts that are so far from a living example of what Jesus would do, oh my goodness, it flushes out in every area of our lives. Let me move on and ask you this question. Who is your crowd? You're going to have people in your crowd that you'd like, and you're going to have people in your crowd that you can't stand being around. But for some reason, we know what the reason is, they see Jesus in you. They're following you, and you have, a, you have the same responsibility with both groups, the people you like and the people you don't like. We don't have that option of writing people off. Allow Jesus to work in the crowd with us. Look at, look at this third step. So we invite with a living example. It's then we begin to teach into their lives. I, I would dare say this, guys. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, and you are trying to teach biblical truth into someone's lives, but you're not following the first two steps before you get to step three here, stop. In other words, if, if you, are, you feel like you're great at teaching this, but your life really isn't an, an invitation and you really aren't providing that live, living example that undergirds what you're t- trying to teach into somebody's life, stop and ask God to help you to get the first two before you get here. Why do I say that? Because I think the era that I grew up in, and a lot of you men in this room that even came, came ahead of me in that regard, I think the era that I grew up in with the church, the church started with teaching and did not demonstrate the invitation in the living example. And as a result, the culture today, I, I read the marketplace today, I read just a couple of days ago, this article said the number one reason why people don't go to church, Christians think they have all the answers. The number two reason, they really don't care about having a relationship with me. That is starting at teaching. Well, by God, the Bible says this, and you better. Where's that invitation? Where's love demonstrated? How is it fleshed out in our lives before we come the Bible, become the Bible-thumping judge in somebody else's life? As a result, as a result today, the church is struggling. Church is struggling, except that there is a generation coming along behind me, behind most of you guys in this room, and I see some of that generation in this room. Thank you for being here. They're getting it. They're getting that, it, that often it starts in the coffee shop. It starts on the golf course. It's the relationship that is the bridge to being able to speak the truth into someone's life. And I hope you, I hope you hear what I just said. Speaking the truth into someone's life is bridge. It's actually fleshed out long before words. So we teach. And when we begin to teach, that's when people begin to discover the truth. You know, I, I wish God sometimes would just give us his timeline so that we can see it. Because on, if we're honest, sometimes we're in a rush to get somebody there. 
when God's working it out in them. And he first works it out in them by us living the invitation and us being the living example in front of them. All of that's part of the process of someone coming to the place where we can speak truth into their life and they can step into a relationship with God. Sometimes I wish I could just see, okay, God, how are you working this out? So I could just rest in that and not rush the relationship. Some of you in this room, you know what I mean. When you rush the relationship, then someone that was in your crowd goes, mm, nah, nah, a little quick for me, buddy. The fourth step. So once we invite and we're the living example and we begin to teach people into our lives, we've got to move to a place where we become a coach in their lives. I wrote it this way, coach the people that surround your life and constantly increase their responsibility as fellow partners in the gospel. You see, once someone discovers the truth, receives the truth, they're in a relationship with Christ, your responsibility now, we just cranked up the flame a little bit. Because now you're not only bringing someone to a point where they can understand the truth, now you have the responsibility of coaching them along the way. Another, Another place the church has failed during my upbringing is bringing people to Christ and then leaving them for dead, (laughs) leaving them on their own to figure out the rest. It was all about evangelism, notching the belt, and not the discipling process that that continues on after evangelism. You as a leader, if you're going to be a partner in the gospel, you got to invite, you got to live the example, you got to teach the truth, but you've also got to get to a place where you coach people. You will have disciples. You will have people that follow you and they will be your disciples and you have a responsibility coaching into their lives. I'm telling you, the church has a problem with this as well because a lot of times in the church when people get really good at something, they're afraid to let anybody else do it and they keep doing it for years and years and years and years and years. You know, those of you that go to church here, I don't know if you realize this, we have a huge volunteer problem. Call them servant leaders from here on out because we, we do get that the, the idea of volunteering is not a biblical term. Life for life. Not, I'm going to give you 20 hours this week, Jesus. So we're going to servant leadership. You know, big change in words. But the idea here is that we, you can look at this place and think we've got it all together. When we really realize we're about a 13-year-old kid with size 14 shoes stumbling all over ourselves a lot of times. We don't have it all together, but sometimes we can look like we have it all together because people are not coaching in other people's lives. They find security in what they're doing. They find a a comfort zone, this lane that they kind of get into and stay in for the rest of their lives when the reality is they ought to be handing things off. Coaching other people so that they can hand things off. Man, we could camp out here just in some good leadership talks here for just a moment. The only position that you should find security in is in Jesus Christ. Not what you do or what position you hold, but that you are in a new position before God in Jesus Christ. So what is it that you can give away? What is it that you can coach people coming alongside you in your crowd who have now discovered the truth? What can you give away to them? And that's the fifth step. The fifth step is this, that you would delegate responsibility to other people. The reality is um, we got to give it away. The, the, the picture that we see in the scripture is about multiplication. It's not just about you and I going through life trying to have the best possible relationship with God that we can have and going, Whew, I made it at the end of this deal. Now, the reality is all along the way, we're inviting, we're living the example, we're, we're teaching people, we're coaching people so that we can delegate 
One of the biggest switches in the Bible, and I got to do this in about a minute and 20 seconds. One of the biggest switches in the Bible, changes, change of directions, was at the feeding of the 5,000 when the disciples came to Jesus on that day, when everybody was hungry because Jesus was long-winded. He had a great talk that day, but talked right through supper time. The disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? It's a good question because they had seen him as he was walking in the marketplace as he was walking among the crowd, as people were discovering who he was, they had seen Jesus cast out demons. They had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen leprous uh, groups of, of, of 10, we see in the scripture, come up to Jesus and he washes them white as snow. Their skin is pure as a baby's. Good question, Jesus, what are you gonna do about it? But for the first time in scripture, he looks back at them, get the idea of the partnership here. He looks back at them and says, what are you gonna do about it? About 20,000 people on the hillside that day, all hacked off. I'm a card-carrying diabetic. You throw a few diabetics in there with low blood sugar level, it's a pretty tough day for those guys. They came back to Jesus. They came back to Jesus because they went and found this little boy with a few pieces of bread and fish. They came back to Jesus with an insufficient offering. Jesus took what was insufficient and did that God thing that he does. Where we started today, guys, asking God to do something we could not take credit for. He did that God-sized thing and fed everyone and there were leftovers. I want to close with this thought. If you've got the idea in your head or in your heart that you've got to somehow get ready or, or do better or be able to figure it all out before God's going to use you in this partnership, wrong. You're never going to have the sufficient offering to handle the God-sized things that he calls you to in the partnership. Listen, if you're handling the things on your own and he's not having to do God-sized things in your life to accomplish the things that you're trying to accomplish, then you need to start asking for something bigger, bigger because you're settling for something less than God wants to do in your life. When the disciples came with an insufficient offering, Jesus showed him, I will include you in the partnership, but you don't have to have it all figured out. And by the way, you never will bring Bring enough for me to accomplish that if it's a God-sized thing that I'm doing. So don't let the enemy, and don't let the enemy tell you or buy into the lie of the enemy that you're not ready and you can't do it and you don't have enough because gentlemen, we will never have enough. And that's the beauty of the partnership. Jesus is the sufficient part of this relationship and he calls us into something greater than we could ever think, dream, or imagine, and that alone will satisfy us. And that's what we need to chase after. That's what Paul's talking about in this partnership. God bless you. Have a great week. Remember, we're off next week, first week of December.